This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler, Ryan Shumpert, and Jack Foster. Alright ladies and gentlemen, welcome into another episode of the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Podcast. My name is Rick Butler, joined to my right, that is Ryan Shumpert, joined across the table, that is Jack Foster. Welcome into the program today. Today is Thursday, February 22nd. We're recruiting. We're recording just about five minutes until high noon. Did we do one last week? I, we I, did not do one last Yeah, week. I think we yeah, missed just, last you week. You just so. us of not doing last week. Well, no, I didn't out necessarily, just kind of... Um, Portraying the story of our. I don't know if we were history. portraying it very well. We, we didn't have an excuse that we came up with or anything like that. It's true. What was going on last week? Nothing. We have no excuse. Oh, okay. Well, see, you're you're saying that we have no excuse. I could have at least faked an excuse. Find an excuse. There you go. We'll cut it out. We'll cut. We'll cut out my part. <laughs> we'll fix it in post. That's right. Um, everybody here back around the table. Everybody back in town. Jack was over in Arlington over the weekend covering Tennessee baseball season opening weekend against a trio of Big 12 opponents. Uh, be on the lookout because they're going to have a baseball podcast coming around soon. But, Jack, welcome back in town. How are you doing? I was in the land of Rick Butler. Thank you. Right. This and is I was true. in the house that you built yourself. With my, own, with my own two hands. Yeah, you're directly responsible for that awesome stadium. Not my two feet because my two feet have never been inside that stadium, but my hands, you know, you're, that's that's the building. You've really never been inside there? I've never been in, inside Globe Life Field, no. <laughs> it's pretty new. Dude, it's a dope stadium. Yeah, it, it got built, uh, you know, I was, I was here. Uh, I think it had opened, right, kind of during COVID, so right. after I graduated, so... Yeah, and then I haven't been able to go back for a game yet. So I was I was very envious of you throughout the weekend, and you know I uh, my parents were there, and I had some friends from back home there. So yeah. I was jealous of a lot of people uh, for the weekend. Yeah, it was a fun weekend. You know, and Ryan and I will have a baseball pot up on these um, on our feed soon, uh, talking about that and what's to come for Tennessee baseball. But yeah, it was a fun opening weekend, and you know got to experience Arlington a little bit, downtown Dallas a little bit. So uh, it was a success. There you go. Glad you're back. Glad you had a good time. Ryan, how are you doing? Everything good? Oh, well, yeah. Going through, chopping through. What's the, word, what's the phrase chopping? I'm looking for? Chopping? What's the phrase I'm looking for? I don't know. Uh, rolling through. I don't powering know. through. Powering through. Powering yes. through. Because uh, it's, it's a crossover. Powering right through now. and cho- keep chopping wood is what the, what the chopping through was. <laughs> Let's see. Um, Roll the boat, my row friend. Row the boat, yeah. Your PJ Fleck. Row the boat. Um, Row the boat. But yeah, no, obviously a lot of basketball going on, a lot of baseball going on, so uh, a lot to get to uh, in two different podcasts here today. Yeah, there certainly is, and we will, um, we're going to be talking about a little bit of football, a little bit of basketball, as we have a couple of bits of information from the football side of things that I'm sure most people have seen. There obviously hasn't been a ton of news, but we will continue to break that down, have a couple of fun football talks to get into, and then, of course, we will end the show by breaking down just kind of where Tennessee is in basketball right now. Again, we're recording on a Thursday, so the midweek games are gone. Tennessee narrowly defeats Missouri on Tuesday. Uh, that was a weird game. I mean, Tennessee got up by 13 at one point, but they were also trailing by three at halftime. It was 1-0 to zero at the first media timeout which is something I personally have never seen before. Uh, what a wild, wild thing there. But uh, let's waste no further time. Let's go ahead and get right into it. I think the big news that we talk about is uh, Tennessee is replacing their new, uh, excuse me, they're, they're filling the vacant spots on the assistant coaching line. 
Um, I believe earlier in February, we, we got the news that Tennessee was losing two assistant, uh, two assistant coaches, one of them being Jerry Mack, the running back coach. He heads to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And somewhat of a little bit of trend, college football uh, coaches yeah. going to the NFL. So he kind of goes in that category. And then also uh, Brian Jean-Marie, a, a Tennessee's linebacker coach, he is heading up to Ann Arbor, Michigan to go be a part of the Wolverines new look coaching staff. Uh, Sharon Moore, I believe, that's the head coach that took over there for Jim Harbaugh. Uh, Brian Jean-Marie spent one year at Michigan before um, I believe he went to UCF to go meet up with Josh Heupel, and then obviously they both came to Tennessee. So he goes back to a place that he is at least somewhat familiar with, uh, but that left two vacant spots for Tennessee to fill. The first one, they actually both came on the same day, the reports at least. Tennessee has since announced the official hirings of both in the coming days. Uh, but the first one was that Tennessee football uh, reportedly hired Cincinnati running backs coach Darrell Sims. Uh, Sims spent nearly two years with the Cincinnati program, helped Cincinnati rank fifth nationally with 217.1 rushing yards per game last season. I think that Jerry Mack was a big position to fill. I think he was really good at what he did. You can obviously see some of the development that Tennessee's running backs have had in the last couple of years, specifically pointing to Jalen Wright, just the way that, that Tennessee and, and Jerry Mack have, were able to take him from just a really fast high school prospect, a guy who could just outrun a lot of people on the high school scene to one of the more complete backs, especially in SEC football. So I think that was a big hire to fill, uh, but it seems like Darrell Sims is, is a guy who can step up and uh, potentially do that, do just that. Yeah, certainly. And uh, a guy that I think, you know, the first thing that stands out is just that it's not an in-house hire. Obviously, every vacancy before these two that Josh Heupel's had in his staff in three years, he's hired in-house. Now, all of those have been on the offensive side, which obviously kind of makes more sense as he's got a very unique uh, system offensively that he runs. And I think position coach isn't necessarily nearly as important, um, you know, as like an offense coordinator is to having an integral understanding uh, of – of the system, so no, I mean, it, it was interesting that they went out of house. It, it seemed like that was going to be the case just from the guys that they interviewed. And uh, Sims uh, been to a bunch of different places, and I think maybe, you know, the other thing that stands out, just recruiting ties in North Carolina and South Carolina. I think he's from South Carolina originally and also uh, coached briefly at Carson Newman. So some East, East Tennessee um, yeah. ties as well. So uh, a guy that's been in the area and then in his, you know, three seasons um, at Cincinnati and Louisville, He's had success, uh, or at least those running games have had success, which obviously is just more than the running backs, but still a good sign there. Yeah. yeah. No, good hires. Um, I think it's like a little bit of breaking the trend with the out-of-house hires here from Josh Heupel. We haven't quite seen this yet. So um, I think they're both intriguing, and you get – you know, we haven't gone into the linebackers coach, but you get a guy who just went to the national championship with the Washington Huskies, and then Darrell Sims has a, has a good history here of what he's been able to do at his stop. So uh, I thought the hires were great. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the, the thing with that stands out with Inge is, I mean, veteran, like Jack just said, he was assistant coach on a national championship content or national championship game team. Uh, but the fact that, you know, he was going to go to Alabama. He was yeah. going to go coach outside linebackers at Alabama with Kalen DeBoer. Um, and, and instead, I guess the, that contract never got done. Um, obviously, there were kind of some moving pieces with that Alabama staff with, uh, I guess it was Grubb that ended up going to the coach for – He went to Seahawks. Seahawks, right. Seahawks. And I think the, another one of the coaches, offense coaches, followed him there too. I can't remember which one it was. So, um, always a big – you know, a good coach. I think good coaching hire would have been – 
on surface, but when you're talking about you're getting a guy that was going to go to Alabama, that's obviously kind of a, a flex of the muscles and a, a good win as you're kind of hurting one of your biggest rivals, at least a little bit in, in the process. Yeah, and the Tennessee side of things, that's certainly a win-win, especially when Inge was going to go and work with a guy that he had been working with for years, yeah. right? There was going to be continuity there, and there's not continuity across the whole Alabama staff as they obviously piece it together and bring in certain guys, some of those guys being familiar with DeBoer in the first, uh, in the first place, but Inge being one of his guys, one of the guys that uh, he was with at uh, Fresno State before Washington as well. I mean, these guys did have a lot of connection together. So I, I did think it was pretty impressive that Tennessee was able to uh, to go in there to pick up Inge and officially make the hire on Wednesday, I believe it was. Uh, William Inge has been around for a long time. He's a 50-year-old coach. I believe his first assistant stop came in 2001 at Northern Iowa. Here are all the places that he has coached before over his career. Northern Iowa, Colorado, San Diego State, Cincinnati, Buffalo, the Buffalo Bills, Indiana, Fresno State, Washington, uh, and then Alabama, if you count that, for about a week in February. But all that goes to say is that at each one of his stops as an assistant coach, he either worked with the linebacker position or the defensive line position. So I think that you get him in a room with Rodney Garner, guys that have just a myriad of, of um, experience and, and a wealth of experience under their belts, especially kind of right there in the same position groups, defensive line, linebackers, front seven area. I think those are two guys who, who can really bring something to the table. Uh, and again, give Tennessee something to work with on that defensive front on a team where we know that the, the defense isn't necessarily the, you know, the, the group that the game is lined up for. Obviously, the defense for Tennessee is kind of working from behind the eight ball. I think it helps a lot to have two veteran guys who know the game, who have seen a lot of things, uh, kind of be able to work right there together on that front seven. So uh, especially the William Inch hire, I, I was really impressed with. And then, again, like you both mentioned uh, and Jack said a second ago, a guy who just went to the national championship, right? Yeah. I know that Washington didn't win, uh, but hey, you at least have a guy in the building who knows what it takes to get there in this sort of current era of college football and knows what it takes. So I, I really liked this William Inch hire that Tennessee made. Yeah, he played uh, defensive line in Iowa, um, and it seems like you know Missouri guy most is not a ton of southeastern recruiting ties. You know, just from where he's coached at, at least you wouldn't think. So that would kind of be the negative of it, but. Uh, a veteran coach. He's been co-defense coordinator in a number of places. I think he was co-defense coordinator at Washington. Was not going to hold that right. position at Alabama. Um, so it wasn't like he, you know, took a demotion or anything to come to Tennessee from that standpoint. But um, just a, a veteran coach to add. And I know that, you know, Tim Banks. I think his one guy that he'd really brought on Tennessee staff was Jean Marie. So uh, I think you know it's curious how much of a role he had in hiring him, and, and just you know the trust level that he clearly had with Jean Marie and, and what. Building that relationship will be like uh, with Bank and Inge. Uh, should be interesting, especially since Inge, like I said, has some co-defense coordinator experience and experience running a defense uh, from a little bit of a higher up position than just a position coach. Not necessarily which hire do you guys think was better, but which hire do you think was more important for Tennessee? The linebackers coach or the running backs coach? Linebackers coach, definitely to me. I mean, I just think, again, anything on the offensive side is just, you know, it's kind of Hypo's baby. Uh, right. Um, and, uh, and with any assistant coach, you know, not coordinator, position coach, I should say, to me, the recruiting aspect is the most important. It's about getting the guys. So I think that's always more important on the defensive side for Tennessee just because, you know, we're – that's always going to be the question is how good can Heupel's defense here be and can it be good enough to, you know, win at the highest levels. So there's that part of it where I just think it's naturally going to be more important because it's on the defense side. But then you look at just the fact that 
what Tennessee has in that inside linebackers room. I mean, they got one veteran coming back in Keenan Peely, but a lot of young guys that are talented, and yep. Arian Carter and Jeremiah Tealand are guys that you want to develop. Obviously, Edwin Spillman, uh, a true freshman that I'm pretty high on. So, um, another a number of other younger guys in that room too. So, the development of some young, talented guys and inside linebackers is going to be really important for Tennessee this offseason and just going forward in the next couple of years, um, which I think makes makes that hire a really a really important one. And I think you got to feel really good about the developmental side with Inge. Yeah, I, I would agree with Ryan, and, and I think he, he took a lot of the really important points right there. The only thing that I would add to that is, you know, I think in a way, the running back coaching position might be a little bit more in a bubble on the offense, right? I, obviously, there's going to be continuity with the other players and the other coaches and, and stuff right there, but I think with, with Inge and his linebackers group, there's maybe a little bit more continuity of what you have to do and work with the defensive linemen, what you have to do and, and work with the secondary. So I think that getting a guy like William Inge and again, I know I sound like a broken record so far, but just what he brings to the table and all the different things that he has seen over his career, I think that gives Tennessee a really good advantage right there. And uh, like Ryan alluded to, right, the, the, we know that the the defense, again, is sort of working behind the eight ball there. And I, I think any help that you can get them and uh, is certainly advantageous. So I'm going to go with Inge as well, though. All right. Yeah. Yeah, the one, uh, you know, funny thing with Jean-Marie going to Michigan, I do think he did come straight came straight from Michigan to Tennessee. Oh, okay. He'd been at South Florida before that. Okay, so the I got reason, those. Yeah, reason okay. for the, uh, the confusion. Yeah, he was never actually at – like, he never coached a season at Michigan, right? He was there for the COVID season. Okay. Yeah, so they he was played there in 2020. Like six that's, games and they were terrible. They went like three. Because I remember three. him talking about a quote of Nealon versus the Big House. Yes. Michigan fans were angry because he had never – Yes, I was, that was what I was going to bring up. When yeah, he, the quote was he called. Yeah, I think he compared it like a tennis stadium. Uh, but again, he was, it, there, it was there for COVID. COVID yeah, so, so. yeah. Uh, but it's just kind of funny that he called it a, a tennis stadium and then went to Michigan. At, right, went back to yeah. Michigan. I was a little, I, I was a little bit surprised by it. Not that I knew exactly what was going on inside the building or knew some of the conversations that were yeah. happening, but I did kind of have that thought of, well, he didn't spend a ton of time there. I didn't really know if it was like something he was eager to go back to. Maybe he just kind of wants to go back to playing Big Ten-style ball. Maybe it's Tennessee's defense that is just kind of tough to work with. I didn't really know there, but I was a little bit caught off guard. I don't really know if I should have been or not, but I was a little bit. Yeah, it could be a a lot of things. And, you know, new head coach, maybe he was just really tight with Sheryl Moore, you know. Sure. It could be as simple as that. Yeah, and and I think that – I think I wrote about it somewhere, but I do think that they did overlap during that 2020 season because, obviously, Sheryl Moore had been a long time – uh, assistant with the Wolverines. And I do believe that he, um, Jean-Marie, got a three-year contract at Michigan, which he was not on a three-year contract. I don't think any of Tennessee's position coaches have been on three-year contracts. So, obviously, that's a, uh, you know, I can remember when it was crazy when coordinators were going to three-year contract deals instead of one. And, obviously, that slowly started to seep down to some position coaches. But I don't believe any of Tennessee's position coaches are. So, from a stability standpoint, uh, I'm sure that was a plus in it, too, going to Michigan for yeah. him. Uh, any other thoughts on the two coaching hires that Tennessee made from the assistant position? Obviously, again, Darrell Sims at the, as the new running backs coach from Cincinnati and William Inge from Washington, although kind of by way of Alabama, as he would have been on that staff had Tennessee not come in. Any other kind of final thoughts right there before we move on to the next topic? No, I just think when you look at it, you, if you're a Tennessee fan, you have to be pleased with how they went down. So Yeah, yeah. and we'll see how it all unfolds. Obviously, September's going to be a big month, and then even still, there's going to be more evaluation after that, but we'll see how things shake out. Uh, real quick, uh, two more football uh, topics to get into. This one actually comes, it's a little bit of a... Um, 
a little bit of a, of a turn off the path of kind of serious journalism. I got this, I got this tweet from, a, from somebody on Twitter today, Sawyer Smith. Uh, he, he tweets and, and sort of poses this question. There's been a lot of talk around the NCAA College Football 25 video game that's going to come out this summer. Right. His question is, who do you think are going to be the three highest rated overall players on Tennessee's offense, defense? Oh, Both. That's a lot. Both. We can we can we can modify the question if we need to. He's asking for what do you think the ratings will actually be? I don't. That's yeah, a little bit out of my. Top player on offense and defense, or you say top three on, on offense. Each? Yes. He said top three. We can, each. We can modify. We can, well, we can figure okay. it out. Top um, okay, so defense is easy. I think James Pierce will be highest rated. I think he'll be the highest rated Tennessee player. Yeah, without okay. a doubt. Yeah. Um, and then on offense, I have to think it'll be Nico. I don't know. Now. I, Cause he'll probably be what ninety. Could it be? Could it oh, be I would be. Could it be a lineman? Could it be like a Spragans? It could be like or a Spragans or a Cooper Mays, I think. I think Brew McCoy might be like kind of an 85, 86 range. And this, this is where it's hard too. We're going off know. of uh, ten years of him not doing it, but it used to be like new quarterbacks never had good ratings. Okay. Okay. Now I don't know. That I could mean, obviously what, what change. What is Nico and Heisman on? like seventh or something. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. He's so, up there. I don't know. I just kind of. I'll say. I'll say offensively, there. it'll be. Cooper Mays, Brew McCoy, and Nico in some order. Okay. I don't think Nico will be the highest. But if they're smart, they'd get all the Tennessee people very happy by doing that. Um, and then defensively, James Pierce, Jermon McCoy maybe? I don't know. Uh, Amari Thomas probably would be the other one, yeah. I'd say. Yeah, I'd, I'd I think, think Amari, Amari Thomas, Thomas for sure. Yeah. Okay. I Keenan Peely? Nah. I kind of doubt I, it. I thought Norman Lott maybe. But even him, I don't, I don't think he played it. Again, he was pretty good when he played, but I don't think he played enough season to get a super high ranking. Uh, yeah, and a lot the, of turnover on, the guy, on Tennessee. So defense. much turnover. That's the, the thing, defense, right? Yeah. Especially from the secondary. Back end. Tennessee pretty much lost their whole secondary to an extent. So a lot of the guys that that we have kind of as projected starters coming up this season are from MTSU, from Temple, from Oregon State, guys who hadn't necessarily played with Tennessee so far. Yeah, or and then the yeah, linebacker units some, young. Yeah, same. That's kind of the same thing at corner too. Yeah. Obviously, you have McCoy, but a lot of Ricky Gibson, Jordan Matthews. So, so what do we say? I think Pearson Thomas are one, too. I like that. And who's yeah, third? I like McCoy as third because he was a good starter last year at a different For school. a good team. Yeah. For a, yeah, a solid team and a good conference uh, with good quarterback play. And there's just no one else that's proven on yeah, defense. That's really. what we're trying to think of right the, now. What I'm coming to the conclusion of as we talk this out is I think Tennessee's defense will be very lowly rated on this game. <laughs> yeah, right? I think that's probably a good Dylan Sampson could be high on the offense, too. You I know he doesn't play him, a ton. He'll be fast and probably a yeah. good break tackle. You know, right. for playing Madden, Squirrel you think Light about, could be fun to play with Yes, if you can get him on certain routes and if they give him good speed. Well, anyone that's played Madden as of – in the last years knows that really the only stat that matters for skill position players is speed. If you're a receiver or running back, literally the only thing that matters is speed. And Squirrel White, especially receivers, Squirrel White should have good speed. Right. Just run drag routes to days with Squirrel White if you get man, and you'll be able to get him some, some yak. Man, I'm, I'm pumped up. Oh, I'm excited when they too. did like the like the gauge meter, you know, when you were picking your teams and they and you know they'd flip through and the little uh, the little meter thing would would switch kind of back and forth. Was that A plus? Was that that kind of grading system, or was it by numbers? I think it's been different in different games, but I think more numbers. So if you had to project Tennessee's overall off, you know how because they had the offensive rating, defensive, defensive rating, overall. and then overall, if you had to kind of think, I'm going. I'm going to say ninety. Okay. Eighty-four. 
89. You're a lot nicer than I, I think it's going to be. I'm guessing like 89 offense, 78 defense, 85 overall. Okay. But again, I don't know. Yeah, it's, I, hard, I, it's hard to remember. I will. Say, I mean, as much as I loved NCAA 14, I haven't put it in the console in years, so I, I, I don't know a little bit. But uh, that is a good question to kind of ponder through. So, what do we think the overall? So, the top three we thought was going to be overall: Pierce, Pierce, maybe a lineman, maybe a Maze. I, I'm going to say maybe a Thomas. Top three. Okay. He could be. I think he'll be 90, 91. I think I would look. More at, and he could be. Uh, I'm thinking more like who will be the Tennessee's All SEC guys, who are most likely to be on Tennessee's All SEC team, which would make me think the most likely to have the highest grade. Which again, it's Pierce, obviously, it's Mays, and then I don't know, maybe Spragans, maybe Spragans, maybe Thomas, yeah, Mari. How high do you think Hurd will be? Like 82, low 80s. Who? Lancer. Oh, forgot about it. So he's a good one, though, from the sense of, like, if you're starting a franchise or a dynasty with Tennessee, because you got him for a few more years and you can get that development. Well, yeah. we'll probably be. Hey, dynasty mode, I heard, is going to be in it, they, they're saying. Well, so. well, I would sure hope so, that they would have dynasty mode in, in the game. You said herd, and I was I immediately thought of H-U-R-D. Jaylen. I was like, who's herd? I can't think of it, not I'm H-E-A-R-D. Stuck in, I'm stuck in 2015 over here. That's yeah. fantastic. No, it'll be fa- fascinating. I cannot wait to... Recruit oh, against my friends yeah. and ruin friendships over yeah. the slandering I'm going to do other people's programs. I have just been begging my friends. I said, guys, you're about to upgrade to a new console. Go the PlayStation route because I want to play with my friends here in this one. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But again, Con- that is NCAA College Football Confirmed 25. Confirmed voices in EA Sports College oh, Football 25. Kirk Herbstreit, Chris Ballard, David Pollock, which is an interesting one because I don't even does he, who's he even worked for now? I don't know. ESPN, I guess. No, no he doesn't he work for anybody. No, he doesn't work for ESPN. He has, oh, I, thought he, I thought he just got demoted in his role. Yeah. He was no, just kind of no, around. he has like a podcast that's you know focused on uh, like religion and stuff, and I think that's it. Jesse I think he Palmer coaches high school and Kevin Connors. So that with that kind of makes me think they're gonna have like college game day or you know kind of like podcast or like yeah. clippets of that aren't from like actual games. You know what'd be the worst thing ever? I'm so excited. This is going to be way too exciting for the game. If they took the, if they if they brought over the Fox graphics and you had to play with those horrible graphics. horrible graphics on oh, the, the screen. Fox graphics are all oh, the Fox are graphics are the worst. <laughs> the worst thing I've ever seen. I hated those throughout the season. But I would love to ah! Gus Johnson just screaming in the middle of my game. Absolutely, too. absolutely. Uh, one more quick football conversation. This one does not need to last long because I don't necessarily think that it is a Tennessee-related conversation quite yet. Who knows? In the road down the road, it certainly could be. Uh, on Tuesday, I believe it was, the College Football Board of Managers unanimously approved a five plus seven model for the playoffs. Uh, the five plus seven model essentially means that the five highest ranked conference champions will make the playoffs and then the next seven highest ranked teams will be in the remaining slots in the bracket. The top four seeds overall will get the bye in the first round. The NCAA and the, co- well not NCAA, but the college football playoffs are being careful not to use the words 
the power four will get the four buys because ultimately there could be a situation like in 2021 where a group of five champion outranks one of the power four champions when it all is said and done at the end of the season. That was Cincinnati ranking higher than Pitt in the 2021 season. So you are going to have the the four power four conferences. You're going to have the champions make it. You're going to have the highest ranked group of five champion. That would include... Um, the American Athletic Conference, Conference USA, Mountain West, Sun Belt, and the Mid-American Conference. They are going to be the fifth um, conference champion that makes it, and then seven more after that. That is an amendment from kind of a 6-6 playoff rule that, that was proposed before the decimation of the Pac-12. I, I think this is fine. I still think it's a little overcomplicated. Just take the highest four ranked teams, put them at one through four, and slide everybody else in at behind. I, I, I know that conference championships is weighted very much. I, I, I don't see any problem with kind of factoring that out as the five plus seven model. But again, I, I still sometimes just sit back here with this thought of, you got the rankings, just put them in order, you know? And so I don't know, but that's my thought. Yeah, I think it's a lot of like the ACC and the Big 12 didn't want that because yeah. of how much that would wait towards the Big Ten and the SEC. So that's kind of, I think, the, the thought of it. But, no, I was curious what was going to end up happening. I think this, you know, with the decimation of the Pac-12, I think this makes a lot of sense. Jack, question for you. Uh-huh. You're a more broad college football expert on the pod. Well, like, who are Oregon State and Washington State going to play next season? What's their schedule going to look like? So it's it's a lot of uh, Mountain West teams, okay. and they still keep their rivalries. So Oregon State is mm-hmm. able to play Oregon, Oregon. and the Apple Bowl is preserved. And I believe those rivalries are contracted for at least the next four or five years. Okay. I, I know the Civil War Oregon game is through 28. So that's at least I, – I can't remember what the Apple Cup deal is. But So they get their rivals, um, and they get a lot of Mountain West teams. I think each one gets maybe one more Pac-12 team or, or like an Arizona or something. Yeah. But two to three Power Four teams, a lot of Mountain West teams, they get their rival. It's an easy – if one of them are good, they're going to roll. Like, that's just how it's going to be. But Oregon State lost so much because their coach left. Yeah. And Washington State lost Cam Ward. I don't know how good their coach actually is. So, they could easily be just as good as San Diego State or something, you know, considering oh, yeah. what they've lost. So, it's I not mean, like they're head and shoulders above the pack in the Mountain West is what I'm trying to say. What's probably brutal for them is the fact that they were – Snakes coming on Rick Talk. Oh, okay, so here's the thing about Oregon State and Washington State <laughs> that, that is interesting, and this comes from Heather Dinich of ESPN. Uh, she wrote here the other day, neither school can qualify for an automatic bid as a conference right. champion in each of the next two seasons. Um, so Washington President Washington State President Kirk Scholes conceded the seven at-large bids would be more beneficial to them than the original proposal of six and six. So you're not even going to have them two kind of in the mix as, as far as conference, they have to be an conference champions. They have to be at large. Now, the rumor going around right now that I can't – oh, man, I wish I could remember it. One of the big college football uh, uh, experts, analysts, tweeted this out, and then it was quickly deleted afterwards. But they tweeted out that, that Washington State and Oregon State were maybe even going to get, be getting some benefits uh, in the terms of, of a, maybe a million or a couple million of dollars – um, basically because of this, because of not being able to be a conference champion. Uh, but, again, they ha- they're going to have to be an at-large bid if they do want to make it over the next two seasons as they are currently um, – they cannot not, qualify. Because they're not in a conference. Exactly. So it's not like exactly. they can win the Mountain West and then qualify as a 12-1 team. Yeah. Um, 
I think it's overall – I mean, I know they got screwed, but – What's to say Jonathan Smith doesn't leave anyway and a lot of players enter the portal? You know, it's still Oregon State and Washington State. So I think it's not fair, but it's not egregious of what's happening to them, if that makes sense. I mean, it's just in the standpoint of it sucks. I mean, it just sucks that we're going in this direction. I mean, it makes sense that they were the schools that were left out. The point I was going to make, which is kind of a little bit of the opposite of the one you just made, was that what sucks for those two schools more Oregon State, because Washington State obviously was pretty good with Mike Leach, is like a lot of times in the last 10 years, 10, 15, 20 years, they probably weren't any better than the best teams in the Mountain West anyway. Right. Like were, it wouldn't be any different. They were basement dwellers in the Pac-12. But yes. now they're on the But up. now they were kind of on the up and up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I do think their coach was a stud. And yeah. then DJ goes He probably to doesn't the, leave for Michigan State, but he probably leaves for another job at some point. Yeah. And, and if they had a conference, I'm sure not all those players enter the portal. Yeah. Yeah. All right, that's a little bit of college football talk. Shall we move on? Yeah. Let's talk a little basketball. Ryan, where are we right now? I believe, let's see, there are five more games left on the schedule, including this Saturday night against Texas A&M in Knoxville. It's actually going to be a a pair of uh, home games for Tennessee, Texas A&M and Auburn. Then they go on the road for two games, Alabama and South Carolina. Then Tennessee comes back home to face Kentucky in the regular season finale coming up on March the 9th. Tennessee right now 20-6 and on the season, 11-3 in conference play, one game back behind Alabama after the Vols beat Missouri on Tuesday. Now, we all had our eyes on the Alabama... Florida. I, I say we all had our eyes on it. I couldn't even remember the opponent. <laughs> on the Alabama-Florida game yesterday that did go into overtime, uh, tied at 85, and then Alabama was able to uh, narrowly get the win at the very end. So Alabama stays ahead of Tennessee, up by one game in the 2023-2024 SEC standings. Um, what am I missing? Where kind of just What does the next couple weeks look like for Tennessee? No, I think you hit it all pretty good. I mean, the one thing I would point out, with the Florida aspect, and I think, you know, obviously on the surface, it would have been better for Tennessee for Florida to win. And I don't honestly think that that's not true. But I'll tell you what, if Florida would have won last night, I think there would be a very real chance Florida could have ended up going 14-4 and and run the table and split the SEC title. Uh, because what they have left, they got Vanderbilt at home this Saturday, they got Missouri at home uh, next Wednesday, and then okay. their next two games are tough ones. They would play at South Carolina, which would be a hard game. Right. And they'd get Alabama at home, um, and then they'd go to Vanderbilt in the regular season. So, I mean, it's three pretty easy games. You get two Vandys and a Missouri in your last five. Yeah, and then you have South Carolina and Alabama, um, which obviously I don't think if, you know, if Tennessee is any worse than – if Tennessee goes 13-5, and five, I don't think they're getting a share of the title anyway. But that's another team uh, that would have been in the mix. And obviously Tennessee will be rooting for – Almost certainly rooting for the Gators when Florida or when Alabama, excuse me, comes two games in a couple weeks, and yeah, I mean, I think Florida's playing as well as anybody in the conference right now. They're playing they just are. really, really good basketball, and yeah, I think Tennessee, Great in a lot of senses, is fortunate that they got them early in the season. Um, you know, since that game was at home, I would certainly still pick Tennessee, but I don't think Tennessee wins that game by 19 points and doesn't break a sweat if they played again. You know, this Saturday. Yeah, that's a good point. Um... So I think what you're looking at with the SEC race is that if Tennessee is going to win, it's probably going to be with four losses, right? And yeah. if Alabama is going to win, it's probably going to be done with two or three losses, which is around where they're sitting right now in conference play. Well, my thing was I just say it's going to be 
Tennessee is not I think has a very difficult path to winning outright. I think if they win outright, they got to basically run the table. Yeah. I mean, Bama could easily go. And that's four. And four and that's four ranked teams in Tennessee's final five games. It's going to be four in their last four once you get through Texas A&M this Saturday. Yeah. So I mean, I, the real simple, simple way of putting it, Tennessee's best way to win the SEC or to at least win a share is to beat Alabama because you're knocking them off right. and you're getting a big win and probably your hardest game left. The path for Tennessee to get a share. If they lose to Alabama, would be to win out the rest of your games. Auburn, A&M, Kentucky at home, and at South Carolina. South Carolina team that's not playing nearly as good right now. That would get Tennessee to 14-4. and four. And Alabama still has Kentucky on the road on Saturday, Mississippi on the road, and Florida on the road. So if Alabama were to, were to lose two of those games, uh, Tennessee and Alabama could both go 14-4 and four, uh, and get a split. So there's a path to Tennessee – getting a share of the title without winning that game in Tuscaloosa, but obviously it becomes a lot more narrow, a lot more difficult really on both sides of Tennessee getting the 14 wins and of Alabama getting the four losses. Tennessee is coming off of a week in which they absolutely decimated both Arkansas and Vanderbilt to the tune of 64 combined points. Then they go out on the road to Columbia, Missouri this past Tuesday. Uh, And as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, it was a tough road to get the win. Now, Tennessee, Missouri, really. I mean, both of them, they, they played very poorly in the first half. Not a lot of points. I believe Tennessee only scored, what, 26? I think the halftime score is 29 to 26 in Missouri's yep. favor. Um, and then Dalton Connect showed up in the second half, especially with about 14, 15 minutes left to go in the game. He finishes with 17. Tennessee's lead balloons all the way up to about 13 at one point. Missouri then closes the gap in the final few minutes. They did hit a three-pointer at the very end to get that uh, final deficit down to five in the final score. But what do you sort of make of this last week and a half from Tennessee? Just where where is your mindset? What are your takeaways as, again, Tennessee heads into this big five-game close to end the regular season? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you look at the Arkansas and Vanderbilt games and say Tennessee got a, did a good job of taking care of business and you know doing what they're supposed to do in those games. And certainly Tennessee didn't play great in the Missouri game. And I think maybe the concerns that you take from Missouri, at least I take from Missouri, are twofold. One specifically of what went wrong for Tennessee, and then it was its offense again through the first, really just the first half, even early in the second half, even though the lead, Missouri got their lead up to seven, was more defensive issues than offense, is that we've seen Tennessee be susceptible to struggling on, uh, struggling on the offensive end. Now, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, three times in the last seven games when they lost South Carolina or lost against South Carolina, the offense struggled, and they lost at A&M, and the offense really struggled. And then in the first half, it really struggled against Missouri. Now the positive is obviously that it didn't balloon into a full game of offensive struggles like it did in those losses uh, against South Carolina and A&M. But that's, you know, it's at least enough for me to say, you know, it kind of causes a little bit of pause. College basketball is a very inconsistent game. I think you're going to have some of those outings no matter what, but three and seven games is a little bit of a cause for concern in my, in my opinion. So that's the one more specific one. And the broader one, ah, man, I was talking about this yesterday on the radio, and now I can't remember the exact stats. I think Tennessee's played nine games total on the road this year. They've played seven on the road in SEC play, so yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, North Carolina and Wisconsin. North Carolina and Wisconsin. They played really good in the first half against Wisconsin. They played really good in the first half against Kentucky. They played solid in the first half against Georgia. They played great for 15 minutes against Georgia and then bad for the last five. But I think they were up by five at halftime, and you yeah. probably would have taken that going into the game. Every other game, Tennessee was pretty terrible 
in the first half on the road. Right. They were terrible on the road in Missouri. Yep. They were Arkansas was Arkansas. They were pretty good too. I'll throw Arkansas into the Georgia though, especially given the fact that Arkansas had a bunch of threes that they weren't going to hit. They were terrible in the first half against A&M. They were terrible in the first half against Vanderbilt. They were terrible in the first half against Mississippi State, and they were terrible in the first half against North Carolina. North Carolina. So, again, you're not going to have to go on the road in the NCAA tournament, but that's that's a trend they got to buck, and especially when you're talking about the two games they have left, especially the Alabama game. If they don't come out ready to play against Alabama and play good, Oof. Alabama can put the game away in the first half the way they can score and the way they can – just with a bolt of, out of the gym. bolt of lightning, put yeah. it on people. So that's something I'll be looking at. I mean, I think you give Tennessee credit. The other game you would say that is true of, that the team can really put it on you if you don't come in locked in, was the Kentucky game. And Tennessee was absolutely locked in. Best first half they've played on the road all season. No doubt. Um, and South Carolina, again, they're not a team that's really going to put it on you because they don't have a ton of offense. But Tennessee needs to win at least one of those games if they're going to win, uh, get a share of the SEC. And you know, I think that's the thing you got, kind of got to point to is you can't come out and, and be slow in the first half and dig yourself a hole. You can maybe pull your way out of it and win uh, at South Carolina, but you really want to avoid that. Yeah, I mean, it, being the the top-ranked team in the conference, you know, I know that Tennessee is not necessarily leading the conference right now, but being the top-ranked team, they've been the top-ranked team for the entirety of the season. They're going to take everyone's best punches, as we've seen so far this season. Texas A&M has not been a great team, especially of late, but they gave Tennessee a big punch in the mouth uh, because, you know, they wanted to come in and they wanted to knock off the SEC's best. I think you're obviously going to get that over these next five games. Tennessee's got to be ready to punch back. And there were times in the last couple games where uh, there were punches being traded, you know, in terms of shots and shot selection and things like that. Uh, but you're right. Tennessee's got to come out and they got to, I think, just really kind of understand that they got a target on their back. they got a little bit of ground to climb in the uh, at the same time. But they got to start these games physical. They got to start these games strong, fast, whatever you need to do. Throw some punches if needed. Again, uh, metaphorical punches. Uh, but do what it takes to, to get off to a good start in those first five, six minutes of the game. I think that is obviously a tone-setting thing. And it's also something we've heard from the coaching staff this week is that how Tennessee wants to set the tone early in the games. Ryan wrote a great article about uh, a, specifically, a specific rebounding drill they've been doing at the beginning of practice. That is just utter chaos. Right, absolute yeah. chaos. It's just it's it's three on three, nonstop rebounding. Nobody really even leaves the paint, even if you make it. it just keeps going in circulation. Your rebounding makes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Trying to get the ball out of it, the net. It looks miserable, right? It looks <laughs> absolutely miserable. Um, and I don't know if that's the guy's favorite favorite drill in the world, but the the coaches have talked about, hey, that sets the tone, and that's why we do it at the beginning of practice because we need to make sure that we get ingrained that in our mindset, in the way that we want to play. They want to be physical and strong at the beginning of the game. So I think that's a great point, and that's certainly one of the most important things to look at uh, as Tennessee takes on four ranked teams in the next five games. Yeah, and speaking of physical rebounding and you know the Missouri game, how Tennessee won, obviously Dalton Connect getting it going in the second half was a big part of it, but so was Tobey. I thought Tobey Walker was Tennessee's best player in that game. He Huge. goes for a career-high 18 points, 6 of 8 from the field, 6 of 7 from the line, 10 rebounds. Uh, Tennessee changed the game when they went to their two-big lineup, which with, I believe, 15-15 left in the game, played it basically the, the rest of the way out. Uh, when they, they kind of went press break there in the last two minutes. They went back to four guards to you know kind of attack that better, but... Uh, a, a big time performance from Awaka and Adu was really solid too in that game, uh, especially in the first half. Those were the only two guys that could get anything going for Tennessee offensively. Connect obviously came alive in the second half. I thought the guy Ziegler played much, much better in the second half. Um, but 
wanted to give Waka some credit. That was, I think, definitely the best game he's played in his Tennessee career. Yeah, I think they combined for, oh, man, I'm backing myself a, a into, a, and a Waka? into a math corner here. 32? Yeah. <laughs> you going to give me credit there? Good math. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and when you combine for 32 points, and what did Tennessee score? 72? Uh, obviously, yeah. you, can, you can tell that. You know, and when you know that it was a bad shooting night as well, I think you can really put all the pieces together to see the through line that Tennessee's big man was sort of what the constant that Tennessee needed, what sort of kept them afloat during the game until Dalton Connect was able to show up and add in his 15 points in, in just a very quick amount of time uh, there late in the second half. So that's sort of the last week in Tennessee basketball. Uh, Joe Lenardi has had Tennessee on the two line as a tournament projection for... Uh, pretty much the entirety of SEC play. I think it's been bouncing around a little bit between whether it be Midwest, South, East, whatever it is. Uh, there was a quick social media update one time that had Tennessee move up to a one seed, but they quickly moved back down to a two seed after a loss. So all it wasn't of the- even after a loss. It was after they moved up to the one seed on Thursday night. Arizona played Utah on Thursday night. Joe already said if Arizona wins, they'll move back to the one line. Arizona won. Oh, okay. Back. There you go. There wasn't you even go. a loss. So Tennessee had a cup of coffee and a social media update of a bracketology ranking, but for the most part, it's been a two seed. Um, do you kind of do you see that? Uh, the way that things are going now, obviously there, there are certain factors on both sides, but at least to me it does feel like Tennessee is pretty primed for a two-seed positioning um, as long as there's no you know, just detrimental fall-off here in the next couple games or so. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're right. And um, I think UConn, Houston, and Purdue are all locked into one seed. So it would be shocked if either of them weren't. And I think Lenardi said, you know, right now Arizona has a decent lead on that fourth one-seed spot. Arizona currently has seven quad one wins. Tennessee has four of them. So, decent gap there. You can see why that Lenardi is saying that. Right. But what I would note, Tennessee's final five games regular season, they got four quad one win opportunities. Arizona's final six games, because I think they still play tonight. They don't have a single quad one win opportunity. And the SEC is a lot better than the Pac-12. So, when it turns into the conference tournament there will be more opportunities for Tennessee to earn quad one wins um in Arizona you know we'll have less so um lots of room to make up in that quad one win category to kind of seriously become a one seed contender but a path there I think for Tennessee to get the fourth one seed was it last year or two years ago that that there was a big controversy about two years ago two years ago that the SEC tournament why even play it doesn't matter I think it was Tennessee and Texas A&M in the finals and then Texas A&M still did not make the tournament. Even Rick Barnes said something about that during one of his press oh. conferences afterwards. But so it's two years ago where, where yeah, sort of that like controversy of don't even play. Tennessee yeah, wanted to be a right. two seed. That's right. Um, yeah, that that's when Lenardi got, you know, that's when Tennessee, Tennessee fans, fans attacked. <laughs> you got attacked. Yeah, and I don't know if fans. the SEC uh, tournament as a whole, like the don't play, that makes sense. But the championship game, yeah, I don't think the SEC championship game that happens on 12 Eastern time or 1 Eastern time on Sunday that ends two hours before the selection, the, you know, the bracket comes out. I don't think that game ever has any impact on yeah. what the seed line is. Um, yeah. But just as a whole, I don't think conference tournaments maybe carry quite as much weight either. So maybe that goes to the why, why do you play it anyway yeah. thing. Very interesting conversation as Tennessee moves into their final stretch of regular season games right now. You have the number five ranked Vols in the country. Um, again, at home this Saturday night, Texas A&M rolls into town. Tennessee looking for revenge after a loss in College Station. 
just about a week or two ago, and then Tennessee will host Auburn in the midweek, uh, then back-to-back road games against Alabama and South Carolina, and then again, Tennessee comes back to finish off the season against Kentucky at home. Pretty good slate. Pretty good slate if you're a college basketball fan. There's going to be plenty of good matchups in that span. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, got to hold hold serve at home and find a way to get uh, at least one win on the road. And, you know, I think if you're Tennessee, ideally that win comes over Alabama. Um, again, South Carolina not playing as well right now. They've lost their last two. Every team has now had their midweek bye. I think a real disadvantage to Tennessee that they had their midweek bye three weeks into the season where Auburn and South Carolina are now getting it here in mid-February. Yeah. But that's the nature of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the uh, a police officer just rolled up outside of our window. Jack, I think they're coming for yeah. you. I think they're coming for you. Yeah, I gotta leave. Sorry, you might, guys. You might have to roll. Baseball pod has now been canceled. <laughs> Jack is on the run. Because <laughs> I still haven't paid my parking ticket. See, yeah. see, he's got campus police coming after him, and they gave you your degree without with the parking ticket. Well, the diploma's in the mail. So. Oh, then don't pay it. I'd say. Well, I the mean, parking if you... ticket happened last time we were podcasting, so I was already graduated. <laughs> <laughs> that that sounds about right. The, the the times that I've got my parking tickets working as a postgraduate have come during not uh, school time as well. So, all right. Anything else on the uh, podcast today? I think we hit a lot of good stuff. Obviously, baseball conversation going to be uh, in a different podcast that will be coming out just right around when this one does as well. Tennessee takes two games uh, in the midweek against. UNC Asheville and ETSU, a 16 to nothing whopper of a game yesterday on Wednesday night. Tennessee exploded for, what, 11 runs in the third inning? Yeah. Ten of those runs coming with two outs. Just an offensive explosion. Some of the new pieces uh, have been really fun to watch, I-, I think, especially from, you know, you guys have done a, a tremendous job covering the, the team from a, uh, from a writing perspective. I've just kind of been following along, doing some photography behind, but I, I really like some of the new names that Tennessee is, is using this year, uh, especially a guy like Billy Amick, who, who's gotten robbed, it seems, more than more than not so far during the first five games of his Tennessee career. Yeah. You can tell that that guy's just got some pop to his bat. Uh, Kavaris Tears knocked a, knocked a long ball out the other day. So, man, things things look pretty good for that department. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, We talked about it in our previewed offense Think it's going to be a lot better, and obviously AJ Russell's debut was really encouraging for the pitching staff. So, a lot to get to in that pod. There you go. All right, be on the lookout for that RTI baseball podcast coming at you uh, as soon as you know it, as you're listening to this right now. Especially if you're 46 minutes into this podcast, uh, the other one's definitely uploaded. So, if you want to go listen to some baseball talk, go be sure to do that. Otherwise, we're going to get out of here and wrap up a little bit earlier than normal today, as we've uh, we flew through some good topics here on the podcast. If you want to follow Jack Foster, you can do that at Jack Foster Media. If you want to follow Ryan Shumpert, you can do that at rshump00. That's S-C-H-U-M-P. And if you want to follow myself, you can do that at Rick underscore Butler. But again, that is just R-I-C with no K, uh, like the nature boy himself. Otherwise, though, make sure you're checking out RockyTopPinsner.com each and every day for the best Tennessee news notes and content you can find. We got a lot going right now. Obviously, we've talked a lot about football with the hires in the last couple days, basketball with five games left in the regular season. You got a top five ranked team, and then baseball, five games into the season with another top 10 ranked team there as well. So there are not a lot of dull days here on Rocky Top right now, which means that we over at Rocky Top Insider have you covered for all of it. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. Be sure to go check out the baseball podcast on the other side, and otherwise, don't forget to join us for the next one. We will see you on the other side. Thanks for listening to the Rocket Top Insider Press Pass Podcast.